Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in the beautiful, wonderful land of crowdfunding, the magical place that I make my living in, right? I'm a, uh, a carnival barker in the beautiful land of make-believe and startups and all kinds of funny stuff, right? All kinds of that stuff. That, that, that's who I am, right? So I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. I am the CEO of Woodshed Agency. And what we do is we help startup companies navigate the marketing world to raise funds. That's a, that's a mouthful. But what does that actually mean? Well, if you're thinking about running a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, we work on a lot of those. If you're thinking about doing equity crowdfunding, we do a lot of those. If you're thinking about doing market viability, we do a lot of those, right? Should you, should you go to crowdfunding? If you just do e-commerce, we do that. If you need help with your pitch decks, we do that as well. I mean, I guess it's a little bit of everything. So that's us. And this podcast, well... This podcast is all about talking to project creators while they're in the middle of running a campaign and, you know, how did they become successful, right? What did they do? So that way, if you're thinking about running a campaign, well, you come, you subscribe to this podcast, you smash that subscribe button, and uh, you listen. Put your listening ears on because we walk through what other people have done to be successful. And today's episode is a great one. Now, I preference all this. We're going to be talking about board games. I don't know a lot about board games. I am not a board game connoisseur. In fact, I don't even know the last what game I've ever even played. Now, um, so, but on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the game Cartographers Heroes, the three-map pack extension. Just that alone was hard for me to say. Uh, but it's a critically acclaimed map drawing game. Um, it's, a, it's a role player game and artwork looks amazing. And what was intriguing, um, uh, the, the, the creator of this, Keith, this is his 10th campaign. And he is a board game publisher. Um, and so this is a game that he didn't design, but he's publishing it. But what was intriguing about this game is that his, uh, this is like the expansion pack, right? So there, this is like uh, built on, on a previous game. And the previous game just went to Amazon. It didn't go to Kickstarter. So this is like the first time the Kickstarter community is allowed, well, not allowed, but has picked up this game and is getting the expansion pack to go with it. Now they've got three days to go, over 5,400 backers and $295,000 raised. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty sweet. So now, if you're if you are somebody, and I'm going to preface this before I kind of we get into the uh, the the real meat of this episode, if you know if you don't know much about board games, but you're still trying to to kind of work this crowdfunding world, right? Like you want to raise capital, you have to be looking at what they are doing in terms of building community, building a crowd, building excitement around your campaign. I mean, on day one of this project, he brought in one hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars, right? And Keith and I, we get into these conversations here in a little bit, just about you know the energy around this and what's happening and and how and the mindset you should be in. So, if you are currently in a business and you are not following the board game world, you are, I, I can't stress it enough, you are totally, totally missing out. Even if you're not into the games, right? You're not into that world like myself. I still am watching what these guys are doing because 
they're raising huge, huge amounts of money in crowdfunding. And man, these guys are kicking butt. So, so yeah. So what else is going on? Well, it's cold and chilly here. We're starting to get into that gray skies. I'm currently looking out right now. It's a little bit later in the afternoon. It's 4:40 again. You know, my episodes on Mondays are now coming out later because my kids and their friends have my office for school on on Monday. So I, I don't get a chance in the morning to to, to do my intros uh, for these episodes. Uh, I, you know, my taping schedule's off, right? But I'm looking right now. It's cold and chilly. You know, it's like 40 degrees middle of October, gray skies, already the street lights are on because it's, it's so dusk, you know, it's so dark over here. <sighs> the gray skies are coming. They are a coming. That's what's going on here. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, if you guys aren't, aren't familiar, but I, we're in Farmington, Michigan. That's where my business is. It's where I live. Um, it's where our kids go to school. Farmington, Michigan, about 20 minutes north of Detroit for our, for our, Maybe our international listeners or our uh, our United States listeners who are not familiar with Farmington, Michigan, and it's a let me kind of paint the picture a little bit. It's a relatively small town. Um, got a little downtown area. My office is downtown. There's a couple restaurants, but one of the big issues here in our town is parking. And I bring this up because I came in at three o'clock to pick up my kids, have a quick uh, call, and the teacher here got a parking ticket. And you look out and there's literally, if I, if I, if, if, I was, if this was video, there's nothing around. There's no cars here. Like basically Monday, Tuesday, this downtown is just, it's the ghost town. Most of the restaurants aren't open on Monday. A lot of the businesses aren't even open on Monday. It's like nothing happens here on Mondays. So we have like a couple little parking lots. We have parking right in front of us, but there's this rule that you can only be here a total of three hours. And past that, you can't park in our parking lot. So what happened today to our teacher who she drives over here and she leaves for an hour during the day. She leaves, she goes, well, she got a ticket today and she's all worked up about it. And, and she had to get into it with the parking instructor. And I've actually freaked out and yelled at this dude, you know, cause he got me one day and I probably talked about it in the podcast. I was so fucking pissed off one day. Oh, I should probably put a, a parental advisory, but I was so mad one day because I had a day where I came up here in the morning at like eight 30 parked, Worked for an hour. Then I had a meeting in Southfield, which is like 20 minutes, you know, east of here. I was basically out of the office for like three hours. And I came back and worked for another hour. Then I went home and I got a ticket. And he's like, oh, no, no, I, I think you've been here for over three hours. And I'm like, but I haven't. I was like, I, I left. You know, I left. I, I, I got food. I have a receipt. I wasn't here. And and there's, you know, so what, what's challenging is this this stupidity of this is that it's this you can't even move your car. It's three hours total. So no matter what, if you leave for an hour and this guy doesn't see you, you don't get credit for it. And there's no talking to this guy. He's just like, uh-uh, ticket's already rope. And, and again, I cannot stress this enough. I'm staring right now at no cars in the parking lot besides mine. None in this whole downtown with restaurants and buildings. There's nothing downtown. And since COVID, it's even worse. There's never anybody downtown. So I am blown away that this town has chosen that mindset over, I don't know, put up a parking meter and you put pay some money, there's an opportunity. And it's frustrating because from what I know, and I'm speculating a little bit, that there's a certain restaurant owner in this downtown area that believes his business is greatly impacted from the lack of parking spots. And I find that to be the most ridiculous thing on the planet. Somebody who's downtown all the time, there's always parking. 
always. And they want to build a big parking structure. And, and I say all this because it is such a spotlight on a small town problem that's, that is a, is a part of a bigger narrative around just how archaic our world is. The fact that in this small downtown, we would put like a four-story parking structure for no reason at all, only because one guy thinks his business is suffering. And now granted, this business I'm talking about, the food sucks, the chef isn't very good, the service is awful, he's not a very good, you know, it's just not a good restaurant. That's why you're, that, like, that's the actual problem. And instead of identifying the actual problem, you, you spin that out to everybody else. And you make these problems that have no bearing, like a parking structure wouldn't fix anything. The fact that an employee or somebody who works for me can't come and park next to their, where they work, it's BS. BS, especially when you have Mondays and Tuesdays and the whole downtown is shut off. So it's a long rant, but again, it's a frustrating thing as a business owner where you're like, I'm sorry, you can't park around our business because we've got this guy who, who comes around and sits in his car and gives parking, you know, is making his money off as opposed to it being like, yeah, you put some change and you move on with your day. I appreciate you all sitting around for my rant, but that's, uh, that's what's going on around here. And uh, it's happened to me. It's happened to our, uh, our, our kid's teacher today. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. And, and the fact that, oh, by the way, too, my, my best friend, my good friend was on the, uh, the committee for parking. And I've already heard many of these issues um, that he was trying to fight the good fight. And I uh, just got out of it because it, it went nowhere. But um, all right, what else is going on? Well, man, we've got a crazy day tomorrow. Crazy day. We are launching three campaigns tomorrow, two, two in the crowdfunding reward-based side, two Kickstarters, and one equity crowdfunding campaign. That's very rarely happens. But we're trying to get these things out so that they don't hit the election. We don't want to hit the holidays. So it is like that one time a year where we're like, we got to do it now, right? But I'll tell you, this election, man, it, it is impacting everything from everybody's stress levels uh, to, you know, wanting to just get through it to having this great uncertainty as to what is going to be happening November 4th. But man, yeah, so we got that going on. So it's busy, busy, busy day tomorrow. Busy day. I got a lot of work ahead of me tomorrow. Tomorrow's a power day. I'm going to have that iPad running with some office or some Seinfeld on it, just cruising through, man, making those Facebook ads. But got a busy, busy, busy day tomorrow. So, all right. With all that said, why don't we go ahead and start, uh, let's pivot over. Let's, let's get to the real heart of why you guys are here. So uh, if you're thinking about running a crowdfunding campaign, a couple things to do. One, go to woodshed.agency. We've got all kinds of resources there. Go to our blog, read there. Go, uh, tons and tons of valuable information there. If that's not enough, make sure you're, like I said, subscribe to this podcast. We're putting out episodes all the time. There's plenty uh, of stuff you can get. If you are not a podcast fan, uh, go to our channels, go to uh, Woodshed Agency over on Facebook and you can watch our Facebook lives. You can follow me on Facebook. I will, I will friend you. You can watch there. So you can get this information all over the place. Um, and last but not least, make sure if you're going to run a campaign, at least click the consultation, join, pick a 20 minute call with me. We'll at least talk about it. You don't have to hire me, but let's just make sure that you're on the, on the same page with what needs to happen to get your campaign funded. So, um, all right. With all that said, let's let's talk about maps, man. Let's talk about maps. Cartographers, heroes, the three pack extension, uh, expansion, expansion. Da, 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 da. Three days to go, guys. Over two hundred ninety five thousand dollars for this board game. 
crazy stuff here. So let's go ahead and kick my conversation with Keith, uh, the publisher of this game here. And uh, here we go. lights on so this is when most people get really nervous how are you feeling <laughs> i don't get nervous no no there wasn't nothing Look at that. he's a pro <laughs> he's a pro guys um so before we start why don't you tell my listeners what you had for breakfast this morning um i'm drinking a cup of coffee right now and it's 11 o'clock so and that's my that's breakfast it. there it is we're in it we're in the breakfast time right now so awesome awesome cool yeah um well instead of uh you know putting you on the spot with breakfast questions um why don't you tell my listeners one who you are and what sure. you're currently raising money for uh, over on kickstarter yeah so uh my name is keith mateka i uh run a one-man board game publishing company called thunderworks games um, that uh, we've been around since two, we being, I guess me, been around since 2013. Um, so I, I publish, I, I think I have um, eight games published at this point. Uh, about half of them are ones that I designed. Uh, mm. Half of them are from designs from other, other designers. Um, my two most well-known board games is one is called uh, Role Player, which is a dice manipulation game uh, about building fantasy characters. Hmm. Um, it's a character building game. Um, okay. and then the, my second kind of, uh, mo- most popular game is a game called cartographers. It's a, it's a map building game. So those two games in particular, are both kind of fantasy based, but, um, I've got some other titles that are more historical and, and, and et cetera. But anyway, um, I do, I've done all, all of my projects have, uh, I've done on Kickstarter, uh, supported with Kickstarter backers, um, except for one. Uh, and, um, right now I've got a project on Kickstarter right now, which is the sequel to cartographers called cartographers heroes. And it's a, um, it's a standalone game, but you can mix it with the previous version as well. Mm. Um, and it's got, um, three small expansions that you can also get. Um, and then, uh, it's basically a game about, uh, everybody at the table, uh, is, is drawing maps, uh, drawing their own map. Mm. And, um, the queen has decided what goals that you should have. They're called the Queen's Edicts, and they're basically scoring cards. And then each round, these cards get flipped, and it tells you, like, which... The, the map sheet is like a grid, like a, you know, just a, a squares. Okay. And you're, you're, map, you're kind of drawing Tetris shapes uh, based on the cards that are getting flipped out. Hmm. And then you're filling them in with, like, either forest or water or farmland or villages uh, based on kind of the cards that are being flipped out. So each time okay. a card flips, you have a couple options, and then you can place it wherever you want on the board. Hmm. Kind of the the hook, or the kind of one of the more notable uh, things about it is um, a lot of these. This is the style of game is called a flip and write, or, or sometimes it's lumped in with roll and write games. Hmm. Yeah, um, never which heard is of that a type type of board yeah. game uh, that have become very very popular over the last couple of years. Um, and th- in this one, in many flip and write games or roll and write games, there's not a whole lot of player interaction where you're like you know affecting the other players a whole lot. Where in this one. Um, it does have a little bit of that, and so what happens is uh, with this deck where you're that's flipping cards, where you're drawing things, uh, shuffled within there are called ambush cards, and when they flip, um, then everybody has to pass their map to their neighbor, and then they're going to draw <laughs> cool. these monsters on their board, and then they get their map back, and then for the you know the rest of the game, you're kind of dealing with the negative impact of those those monsters. But um, it's 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 palatable, like kind of the take that or kind of the the piece there is is 
it doesn't feel super mean because everybody's doing it to each other at the same time. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's that like one villain. We're all, everybody's a villain at that point. Right, right we're, we're, yeah. we're sharing in our misery together. Um, so yeah, Cartographer's Heroes is on Kickstarter right now. It's, um, I think it's my ninth project. Um, That's cool. So, and, and this is, this is the, my second Kickstarter of this year, so. Um, That's cool. So, so yeah. now this one though, just, just so we're, for clarity, this is an expansion pack to the original one, or is it somewhat still the same? Or how, how, what does that kind of mean? Like an expansion pack to people who don't, sure. might not know. So traditionally, an expansion is like requires the base game to play. Um, mm-hmm. That is not true for this. So the Cartographer's Heroes is a standalone game. You can play it by itself, um, um, but you could also integrate it with the previous version. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, most of the cards are all brand new. Um, so they're like. In the original version, you had like these four different monsters that could be drawn on people's maps. And this one, you got four totally different monsters, and they have mm. some special abilities. This one has some um, heroes in the deck. When they flip out, they can help you kill some of the monsters that are on your map. Um, whereas on um, the previous version, uh, there weren't any heroes, but there are these ruined cards, which force the players to kind of draw on certain spaces, restricting kind of they can't just draw wherever they want when these right. cards come out. So mm. there's some some differences between the games, but um, um, and they all kind of they have a little bit of a different flavor, but definitely if you played the older version, getting up to speed on this new version is super fast because there's just a couple rule changes. Mm-hmm. And like the cars that flip out that have like shapes on them uh, that you're supposed to draw on different terrain types, those are all, uh, they're, they're similar, but they're different shapes or the, the com- combinations of the, the trains are a little bit different. But okay. um, those are the big pieces. Um, the new map packs, which are also part of the expansion, um, are, are totally new and they're compatible with the old version of cartographer or the new version of cartographer. And uh, they give you brand new maps and they've got like some special cards that go with them. The first one is, uh, takes place on a map where there's a big volcano in the center of the map. And so, and there's some cards added to your deck where you, as you flip them out, then they're going to draw lava flows on your map, destroying some of the stuff that maybe you drew on there already, mm-hmm. or you can draw the lava fl- flow o- over the monster your buddy put on your sheet or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> the second one is has this um, is in the plane of knowledge. So th- this is kind of this is a world that I've been building up over these uh, over multiple games, um, and and these kind of locations of these map packs are related to that. But this one takes place in this place called Afril, the plane of knowledge, and and it's basically these islands that are kind of, of made out of stone that are floating on this big massive gray sea, and um, in that version. Um, you have to kind of connect the the islands so that you can draw, uh, you can map out different parts of the islands as you go. And that, it gives you some new scoring opportunities and, and some different decisions. And then the third one, you're you're basically, uh, half of the map is underground and half of it is above ground. So you're like tunneling down underneath the city hmm. uh, when you're connecting things. And mechanically what that means is that instead of just drawing whatever you want, wherever you want, um, you have to always be connected to something else that's been drawn so you can tunnel oh, back cool. to the gate. So... Um, those are kind of the, the super, uh, the, the big things. There's also, um, with the original cartographers, I had a little like eight card mini expansion that kind of let you break the rules of the game, uh, for a cost. Um, and that was something that I kind of gave with purchase for when people bought directly from me as a publisher, mm-hmm. instead of buying on Amazon or whatever. Um, and I have, a, I have another one of those. So there's like, I have, there's another mini expansion that, that you, that you get, for free if you order it through Kickstarter or you or you buy it uh, from me after the fact. That's cool. That's cool. Where, where was the origins of this game? Like, how, how did it get started? Where was the, like, you know, the sketch, the real quick sketch of it? Like, where did yeah. it start? 
So seems this like this is a big of, world that's being created here, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, this this cartographer's game came from a designer named uh, Jordi Adan. He's a Brazilian uh, gentleman, and um, so this one I did not design. I designed role player, and this one was designed by Jordi. Um, and the new version, um, some of the des- the design um, uh, elements went over to a, a friend and, and developer named John Brieger. But anyway, um, the original game kind of came to me as like just a friend saying, "Hey, dude, you should check out this game. I think it would really fit your line. Um, I think you're gonna dig it. You should you should do it." And I was yeah. like, you know, people say that stuff to me all the time. <laughs> you know, like. Dude, I got this great game idea, which is cool. Every, you know, great. You never know where a great game idea is going to come from. Right. But it always, sometimes it feels like everybody in the world thinks they have a great game idea. And you know, I have my own great game ideas that I don't have time <laughs> to work on. Um, but this one, it was like from a trusted friend. And he's like, you should check this out. And I was, and I started looking at it and I um, started reading the rules. And I was like, dude, these rules are horrible because they were translated from Brazilian Portuguese. <laughs> right. And it was kind of framed as like, all right, that's cool. You know, can you, can you clean? I started asking questions about the rules, and then it, I was like, you know what, I'll just rewrite the rules for you. They're not that long. Right. Um, and this is a, this is a friend of mine. And I wasn't really that interested in looking at it, um, mainly because I was busy with other stuff. And then I, like, I translated the rules, and I was like, well, I know how to play it now. I, I might as well try it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, so I sat right. down and played. I was like, "Dude, this is pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, uh, let, let's. I want to do this game. So then, that's kind of where I went. Um, so, so at that point, what are like in in your position? You know, what are you looking for? I'm assuming this isn't a full out. All the artwork's not there at this point. Right. Like, like, but I mean, are you just looking at like the roots are here? And, yeah, the, and definitely. Then, there's and no what artwork. are you doing from there? You know. Yeah, there's no artwork, and then you know the game still needs development, like which is yeah. like taking it to the. The last 10%. Um, the game has scoring cards. The original prototype had four of them. We ended up with 16 of them at the mm-hmm. end of development. Um, we ended up kind of moving some icons around to make uh, to solve a couple kind of uh, edge case problems. And, um, and then uh, besides that, it's just like getting all the artwork done um, and doing any final playtesting and, and then starting to work with the manufacturer. This, the original Cartographers was one that um, I didn't, do Kickstarter on. That was my, it was an experiment project. I was like, this yeah. game is small. I can, I tried using a different manufacturer. I tried not going to Kickstarter. Um, and it turned out to be this huge success. You know, it, it did it's really, good. really well. It sold, it's, of all the games that I've published, Cartographers is the one that I've sold the most copies of. That's interesting. So this is the, yeah. the one that's on Kickstarter now is the follow-up to it. Right, right. Um, and, and I am going to Kickstarter. So that says, that's different. Why are you doing that, Keith? Well, <laughs> Um, basically, you know, I think Kickstarter is a great place for like deluxe versions of games mm-hmm. or like, re- you know, like really deluxifying, uh, titles. And in this one, like, because I was, I was doing all this more content, I really wanted to do like a, a fancy box, you know, mm-hmm. like the hardcore gamers, like are really into how their games are stored, yeah. which sometimes yeah. feels a little crazy, but, um, <laughs> and I wanted to do this deluxe box for fans of the game and. It just didn't seem like it was a good idea as just a straight-to-retail product. So I was like, well, let's just throw it on Kickstarter. I mean, the biggest benefit for Kickstarter for me at this point in my kind of growth is just figuring out how interested people are in this thing. Right. Um, and so and it, it's, it's doing uh, really well. So people seem super interested. So um, I'm yeah, that's interesting. So like, I, I, I'm fascinated on, on, on your work in this. When, when something comes to you, 
what are you looking for that you see the potential to keep going with it though? Because I'm imagining you, you mentioned you get a lot of stuff thrown you right. Some stuff you just got to look at it and go, this is just not going to be a good game. Like this. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of it, right? And some yeah. of it is just because like my personality is relatively critical. You know, <laughs> like I'm I'm always like pointing out things that I wish would be better about like almost everything I see. You know, right. um, and I I have I just play. Some different companies have strategies as to like what the kind of games they're looking for or like certain price points or like certain themes or mechanics that they want to see or whether they do cooperative stuff. And um, my criteria of like what game I want to sign is like so arbitrary that it's, it's somewhat laughable. But it's basically like how much, how much do I personally like this game? Right. Um, I play it and I say, oh, this, this game is really cool. Then I'm like, well, let's how could that fit into the stuff that I'm doing? And if that seems like it's something that I want to either risk or it seems like an obvious, uh, uh, you know, a kind of obvious thing that I could do, then, then assuming that I have bandwidth, like I just say, yeah, that's this game. <laughs> um, but if like, this might be a game might come in and it might be a great game, but if it's, it, if I don't really like it that much, even though I, I can recognize that it's a great game, I won't do it. Right. Um, and, and, the board game industry is small and a lot of people just kind of know each other. Yeah. Um, and so people will rec- make recommendations. So like, for example, I played a prototype of a game at a, at a convention, you know, not in the, maybe two <laughs> not, years ago now. Not in a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I could see that it was really good. I was like, this is a good game. This is like the kind of g- game that I know certain people really like, but it just doesn't trip my trigger in terms of things yeah. that I like, like, I don't really like space games for some reason. I don't know why. It's just I, it's just not a genre. <laughs> yeah. I like a theme that I like very much, and it was kind of very much uh, engine building on another planet. And mechanically, I thought it was really interesting, but thematically, I didn't like it. And I and I thought like retheming it, which is something that happens pretty frequently. If like a game comes in as like a horseback riding game, and then when they finally publish it, you know, it's about snowball fights or whatever. <laughs> like the, right, right, right. the themes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I didn't, there was so much content and like, there's so many mechanical things that really worked well within the theme that he had that I thought like retheming it was, was going to be like this massive task. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, I'm always thinking about like, how do I want to spend, be spending my time? Sure. Um, so in that experience, like I saw this great game and I just say, it's not for me, but you should, you should talk to this person, this person, and this person. Right. Because those, those guys like those kind of games. <laughs> right. Um, and they, they might be interested in this. So, like, you know, you try to direct uh, fledgling or even just, you know, well-known or designers that are pitching games, like, you know, to the – try to help them find homes for their games, right? Yeah. Especially now, now, do you find that because you make games, you're looking at it differently than, let's just say, a guy like me who – I don't make a game. I might just sit down and go, I had fun with it. That was a fun Friday night. Saturday <laughs> yeah. night. Like, 100%. Or, or you could look at it going – Come on, you're not going to do that. That's not how that's going to work, right? 100. You know? As soon as I see the box, I'm I'm thinking critically about like how I would have done it differently. You know, right. <laughs> like oh my gosh, you know, or sometimes it's like oh man, the spot UV finish on this box looks amazing, or like <laughs> man, they laid out the rule book and they only did single column. They should have done double column, like uh, in terms of like how the text is laid out. Or yeah, um, I can't believe they waste they wasted this an entire page with a piece of artwork where they could have used more examples. Right. Like right. those are kind of um, it's annoying. I annoy myself with that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> it's a little bit of a curse. It sounds like that. Right. Uh, it's it's like, like, can, ah. can you stop? You know, I'm talking to myself. Like, 
can you stop and just like have fun, dude? You know? Um, yeah. I got, th- I got that over here too. I, I mean, we talked a little bit about music before, but I used to own recording studios and I like, uh-huh. you know, that's, that was my world. I had four of them going on and I still do live sound, but like I haven't enjoyed music since I got really like, actually it became a thing in my world. Right. Like I don't enjoy it anymore. Everything I'm listening to going wrong. Kick like that drum, kick like, drum. What were they that's thinking? Right. That's the wrong frequency. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask my wife about going to a concert with me. She loves it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, as, as a side note, like I have a bachelor's degree in music recording technology and I worked in a recording studio for <laughs> there, a while. Yeah. Um, and like I went, my life has kind of gone through these like three phases so far. So like I was super into music and I played in bands and I went to college for music and then I started working in a recording studio and I said, I hate this. I don't know why anybody does this. Um, people are working crazy hours to get paid yeah. like, oh, yeah. next to nothing yeah. and they can't balance their life and family and nope. work. So yep. I was like, I'm out. I got bills yep. to pay. Yep. Um, and then, um, and then I, I, I ran into, uh, I, I started in the video game industry as like a low level tester and I worked through production and cause I loved video games and I worked in the video game industry for 15 years. And it's like, after, after you're in it for a certain amount of time, you know, you see how the sausage is made, like the magic yeah. kind of starts going away and, yep. um, I burn out and it's like, okay. Then I started this new passion for board games again. And now I'm doing board games. <laughs> right. so I'm just like, con- you know, con- not constantly, but I often am thinking about how do I delay that burnout? Like, how do I, how do I minimize that magic from going away? Sure. Um, and there's some days when, you know, it's hard to find that magic again, but, but especially kind of during this pandemic where I don't get to play games with my friends, which is like the big, right. This, this is the big love of this, of board games is like sitting on a table with people that you like and, and having yep. a great time and sharing this experience. Um, and that's really hard right now. I mean, a lot of people are doing playing board games digitally over things like Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator and mm. Board Game Arena and like all these digital board game platforms, which, um, you know, it's it's a substitute. It's, you know. Yeah, it's the, no different than watching a concert on on uh, Facebook Live. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, it I is a band I, playing. Like, it, it exists. And I'm, cool. I'm technically I'm it. having fun, but. Yeah, it, it, it I, pales I in comparison, right? Right, right. Now, are you like, do you are you thinking about that? Of like, will board game industry take a hit if we are two more years of this? You feel like it has to go back to, you know, I got to have an app for my game for some reason, you know, or whatever. Well, like, I think in general, the board game industry is faring fairly well in the um, in the pandemic, right? Yeah. So, like, people are looking for something to do at their houses with their families that they're stuck with, you know, right? And yep. so, like, puzzles are selling like crazy. And board games are doing really, really well. Um, the retailers who have like the brick and mortar stores where people come in and buy stuff, like a lot of those guys have transitioned to more online sales mm-hmm. and like doing kind of like buying stuff. Uh, you buy a, video, a board game at their store online and then they drive it to your house, kind of you know, mm-hmm. delivery services. Right, right. And so the retailers really had to scramble to kind of uh, keep afloat. Um, but there's, there's retailers that are dedicated to online sales. I mean, you know, obviously Amazon is, is the big giant, but there's other yep. big ones that are selling uh, primarily board games online. And they're, my understanding is that they're doing very well. Yeah. So, Speaking of retail, I've, I've actually heard this quite a few times. Maybe you can speak on it. Like, is the, is the retailers still being annoyed by Kickstarter? Like, you know, isn't there like a, a friction point between retailers and Kickstarter that like some people are like, no, I, I hate this, you know, type of stuff. Right. I mean, definitely early on in when board games were kind of coming to be a big thing on Kickstarter, there was a lot of 
kind of conflict, I think, between retailers and Kickstarters, uh, Kickstarter back or creators or backers or whatever. So just the idea is like retailers are thinking this, this whole marketplace over here is like basically stealing my sale. And, um, and the, the truth is that Kickstarter is not going in, right? Like crowdfunding isn't going anywhere. So retailers have had to kind of adapt their thinking. And, and I think some have been more successful than others. Uh, but I think in general, um, there's a more, you know, creators are, are creating um, retailer level pledges. Mm. Um, there's, as a, from a retailer's perspective, my, you know, obviously I'm not a retailer, but from, from what I've heard is that like, you know, it, it takes more time for a retailer to kind of follow things on Kickstarter and manage that process. And then also for a retailer to kind of commit that amount of money for a product that they might get in six, nine, right. 12 months, uh, you know, can, is like, you're, you're pulling, you're pulling a lot of the, the liquidity out of the company to do other things. So, sure. um, at least for me, I, I always, you know, at least in the last four or five projects, I've definitely made sure to have a, a retailer pledge level and I collect the money from them um, besides like a, a deposit, like collect their, their, their money way out, like pretty much as the games are coming to their door mm-hmm. so that like, I'm not pulling their money out there, a lot of their money out for a long time. And then there's always, always this exclusivity topic when it comes to Kickstarter and retailers and well, Kickstarter in general. Well, there's like two main, in my opinion, there's kind of two kind of offers that you can give uh, Kickstarter backers that they expect. And that's either one, a significant discount um, or two exclusive content. Right. Um, my perspective in general is that I don't do exclusive content because it creates this bad experience for my customers that walk into a store six months right. after the game's out and they say, oh, I got the, you know, the pared down version of the game. <laughs> right. yeah. well, this okay. is a bad experience. Yeah. So um, I don't do that so much. I do offer some of these kind of deluxe boxes that I know don't really seem like retail products to me. So I that, that don't go to retail, but I never do anything where it's, you can only get it here. You can always buy it from my website. You can always buy it from me at a convention. Assume those happen right. again, yeah. you know, someday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because I don't, um, I, I don't want to kind of leave my customer out out in the lurch of like, uh, there was this promo card that came out that I can never find, and I, you know I've been as a gamer, I've been that guy that like You're buys right. a game late, and then I'm like, oh, there was a an, a, an expansion. Oh, you had to be a part of the Kickstarter that was seven years ago. That sucks. Yeah. yeah um, so it's just kind of trying to see the world from the backer's perspective because you know I was I was backing Kickstarter projects a, a lot earlier than I was creating them. <laughs> right. So yeah. That's yeah. where I'm coming from. That's cool. And what do you think has been, I mean, over the course of, of your time making Kickstarters, what have you seen the biggest changes start, happen maybe in like the last two years or so? Um, definitely. I feel like um, when we were talking about those, those discounts, those benefits for people, like I see companies offering less of a discount and less benefits to backers, I think. Mm. Um I think that's coming, especially for small companies, and I think that's coming out of, you know, too many people losing their shirts on giving, like, really good deals, and then they right. walk away, and you spend an hour making this game, and you made, like, $1,000, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, my per hour rate on this project was real <laughs> low. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some of that, but, um, so I think um, that has happened more. I think people have been moving towards uh, charging shipping after the fact more. Yeah. Um, which is something that I always really hated. Um, and I resisted for a long time, but 
I got enough feedback that like, at least that was surprising to me that like a lot of people prefer that. Hmm. Like, well, I make more money if I do it that way anyway. But I just, I've always struggled with that, that moment where I back something for 20, you know, here's $50. I want the game. And then a month and a half later, here's an email. Oh, you have to pay another 15 bucks in shipping. Right. And I always feel like I already paid for this game. Why am I paying for this again? Right. Yep. But it seems like there's a certain percent, like a significant percentage of people that would prefer to split up the purchase over multiple transactions so they don't have to have it all at one time. Yeah. And other people, um, I mean, from, from a creator's benefit, obviously, uh, creator, uh, Kickstarter doesn't get their cut when that happens. So I make right. more money. So I'm a fan of that as a creator, but I, I, I'd be willing to sacrifice that percentage if, if ever, all the backers would prefer not to do it that way because, mm. uh, you know. I'm trying to make my people happy. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's cool. So, I mean, that's, that's a big move. I'm, I'm sure other Kickstarter creators you talk to uh, are seeing, saying the same thing. Um, are you seeing a trend that, and this is what I've been wondering, because I watch board games from my, my vantage point, right? As an agency, as somebody who does these podcasts, who d- just talks to people about it a lot. Sure. Are you finding that um, it's starting to get more and more like you've got to be a big a bigger player? You know, you've got to, you know, for these campaigns to go and... You know, if you're doing the campaign that, hey, I just want to raise 10 grand. Like, I, you know, I just want to get this game off. That it's getting more and more challenging to, to do that on Kickstarter. Um, I think that opportunity is still there for people. But I think the, the consumer's expectation as to, like, how far along the product is in its development cycle and, like, how much, how good the Kickstarter page looks and how well presented the information is. Like, Kickstarter backers are getting more savvy about, like, um, they they see, you know, bad Kickstarter. You know, Kickstarter's gone bad, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, cool. And so they're more wary of that, of, like, you know, trying to make sure that they can um, trust the person who's running the Kickstarter project and it seems like they have their, uh, their stuff together. Um, so I think that is true. Like, early days of Kickstarter, you could just fund an idea. You're like, yeah, I know. Right, right, here, yeah. Here's a picture I drew. I want to make a storybook. <laughs> Yeah. Give me money. Yeah. You can yeah. do that. Um, now, you know, if you're doing a storybook, you're like, here's a storybook. Here's the first one I got that, you know, this test print I have, all <laughs> yeah. the illustrations are done. Right. Here's a sample of the book. Like you have to, um, you have to be way much further down the process and invest more of your own money in, or in the product before asking other people for money. Yep. Um, so that's definitely true. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think yeah. those, those projects where you, where you could just have an idea and, and throw a Kickstarter page together in an afternoon and ask for five grand yes. and you would just get it. Like, I mean, that's cool, but I don't think that those, um, it just seems like there's lots of opportunities for abuse yep. uh, in terms of people walking away or, or, or not doing a good job or their del- delivery timelines are just, you know, way out the yeah. window by multiple years or whatever. Yeah. It, it hurts um, the whole, the whole thing, right? The bad experiences yeah. on other Kickstarters. Like, Oh, I, I remember, I mean, I bought some headphones three years ago. I'll never, I'm not getting them. I never right. got these wireless headphones, never getting them. Yeah. You know? I've got, I've got a couple projects I've backed that I never got. One yeah. was from somebody who I know personally, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I used to work with, yeah, but it's an awkward um, conversation. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's like if a Kickstarter project goes bad, all the people that backed it are mad. And then there's a certain number of people that are going to be like, you know, Kickstarter is a scam. I'm never yeah. backing any projects ever. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then all the people who are doing good work that are trying to do cool stuff and, and, and honest and um, on there, just trying to do their thing. They all get penalized for that other person's right. misdeeds. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess in, in that way, um, I'm glad the backers are getting savvier and I'm glad they're demanding um, higher quality projects. Um, that means the bar to entry for that noob is, is higher. Um, and you know, I was there too, you know, my, yeah, yeah. I think it's okay. I, I agree with that. I'm on your page. I think it's okay. It's, 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 you should be putting your own time and sweat and tears into getting the project a little bit farther along. That's all, yeah. you know, put your homework in. So let's, let's, talk, let's flip over a little bit to like maybe your creative style. I mean, I, since you do make games, like, you know, when you're starting to build your worlds out or you're building out that game, like what, what is your process like for, for this? I'm always fascinated with it. Cause again, coming from creative, right. You've got to build this, you've got to, you know, right. but what are you, how do you typically start when you say, I'm, I'm going to make a game <laughs> <laughs> now what, you know? Right. And, and the process of like, I'm going to make a game. Well, they're tied. So um, there's kind of two main paths. Um, one is mechanics first and the other one's theme, theme first. Right. Mm. So, and I've built, I've designed games kind of using both methods. Um, my first game was a mechanics first game where it's like, I just have random cards and some cubes and I put them on the table. I start moving around, start thinking about ideas, things, you know, things that I'm trying to like, um, you know, initial things I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, what are the, what is the goals of the game? You know, mm. a lot of times it's just getting points, but like, you know, what, um, how, you know, what is an interesting novel way of doing that with like components you already have? So I pull game pieces from out of other games and I move mm. them around and then I take Sharpies out and I start crossing yeah. things out and writing on cards. And then like, uh, so in that game, uh, Bullfrogs, I just had this idea of like, what if these pieces were on this card? And then like, what happens if like, um, you know, pieces like had to jump to like adjacent cards and stuff like that. And like, how would that work out? So I was just moving things around and just like trying to figure out like what would a turn potentially feel like and what is it, what is the goals of the game? And then you just, just get it out and start, start, you say, okay, here's the rule set. Let's play it. Okay. The, these 10 things didn't work. Here are the changes and here's the rule set. Let, let's try it this way. And, and it's just a very kind of play test over and over and over. It's like, until you find the fun, it's like an iterative, mm. iterative design process, which, yeah. Whereas in um, uh, role player, which is a game I, I designed as well, that one came um, like theme first. So it's like, I played somebody's role-playing game and I uh, gave them feedback. And, and I remember saying that my feedback was like, I don't really like the whole, the, the game part of it, but like this character creation part is kind of fun. And then like this light bulb appears above my head and says, what if the whole game was about making characters? And then I said, I'm going to go work on that right now um, because that's an amazing idea. Um, and so I had, that was the theme is like creating characters. And I had all these reference points of like, whether it be playing D and D or or vampire or you know video game role playing games like Ultima and Final Fantasy and stuff back you know, when I, you know Skyrim and all that other stuff, so like I had all those points of reference and it's just like all uh, coalescing into what this game is you know so I, I did I didn't have in my mind I'm going to make sure that this game is about manipulating dice to solve this puzzle um, it was more about like I want to make a game about creating characters like how do I do that um, and I think. You know, different designers work in different ways. Um, I I probably prefer to to um, work mechanics first, but um, sometimes like you just get a thematic inspiration and then you just figure it out. You know, so that's cool. That's cool. We, you know, and I always I'm always fascinated too. 
um, because I think these ideas can go on forever. That's why we see expansion packs, expansion packs, expansion packs. Sure. But when do you know that? All right, I have to stop. Like well, I, I got the game. Right. It's good. Uh, I've tested it. Um, even though I could add these other 10 other things, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to, but it, we're right. ready to go. You know. so, yeah, like scope mitigation <laughs> is kind of what we're talking about. And so there's two layers to this. One is like within a game. So I'm working on this game. It's got these feet, all these features. Um, and it just comes out of play testing. You know, it's like how long, like it, this game is taking two hours long to play. In my mind, I wanted this to be like a 60 to 90 minute game. Uh, sure. What yeah. can I cut? You know, right. or it's like the, here are the 10 things you can do in the game. These, these three are the things that people seem to really respond most positively about. These are the ones that they're talking about. Let's get rid of like four or five of these other things. And like, how does that affect the game? And really focus on the things that are, that are, that people are talking about that they're having the most fun with and like, you know, pivot other features so that they're all reinforcing the fun part. Right. So find the fun and then just have everything else reinforcing that piece. Um, and then, you know, obviously like things that hit the cutting room floor, um, can always be kind of mined for expansions and stuff down the road. Sure. Um, I mean, the other things to keep in mind is that um, is manufacturing, right? So, um, well, there's there's a couple of things. You know, when you're working on a game, I'm always thinking about like what box size does this fit in? Yeah. Because box size for a board game determines how much people value. You know what what people's value they put on that thing. If I have this the most amazing game in the world, no that you've ever played. And it's in a box this big, <laughs> no one will pay more than ten dollars for it. It doesn't matter right. how good it is. It doesn't. Yep. Right. Um, and then if you have like a mediocre game that's in this giant box, um, people will pay a hundred dollars for it. Yeah, it's crazy. At least out the gate. I mean, the like when it's sitting on the shelf and nobody's seen it before, like that's how much they they're willing to pay for it. So, and this was an important lesson that I learned. Um, in uh, one of my early games that I published from a, a guy named Scott Eaton called Blend Off, where it's a small game, and my thought was like, I need, I want to make this like as small as possible so it's compact, and people can like play it on the go, and it's going to be great. And then, but in my mind, I had this vision of like, but it's going to have all these awesome wood pieces. They're all going to be, and it's going to have this dice die that's painted differently on every side. And I had this grandiose plans of like what I saw this product being. And then I'm, I'm working with the manufacturer and they're like, this is how much it costs to make. And then there's this kind of um, calculation that people use in the board game industry of like manufacturing cost to MSRP to the final price to the consumer. Yep. And it's this ratio. And, and, uh, and it's mainly because like everybody in the world gets a cut along the way, whether it's the, mm. uh, you know, well, there's the freighting costs from China or whatever and around the world. And then you've got distributors and you've got the retailers get their cut, which is pretty significant. Um, so they use this ratio from like one to five or one to six. Yeah. If like you want to make any money, your manufacturing cost to MSRP has to be like at least one to four, if not one to five. Yeah. Um, so, on this small little game that had these amazing components in this tiny little box, you know, it was like based on what the manufacturing cost was, it's like, this is like a $35 game. Right. It's like, nobody's going to buy a game this big. It's $35. 35, yeah. It doesn't matter how good it is. Yep. So I ended up pricing it at, at 25. So I, I wasn't making a whole lot of money out of it. Right. And then, um, if anything, to be honest, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I had to, I ran it on Kickstarter twice. It's the only project that I had, I've had to run on Kickstarter twice. 
um, a big piece of the second time around was just like, I'm willing to take on more risk. You know, I'm yeah. just going to like, just not require as much money from backers and I'm going to do a significantly smaller print run. And um, in the end, people still don't want to pay $25. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, it's what it is. That's so, cool. Well, well, yeah, that's so. You know, let's talk a little bit about this Kickstarter specifically. I mean, we haven't even mentioned it yet, right? So, uh, you know, no, but you got over. About, I talked through the design. Well, we talked about the design, but we haven't talked about the actual like some of the numbers, right? So, you know, you've got seven days to go in this when we're talking. Over five thousand backers, yep. over two hundred seventy thousand dollars. So it's a yeah, obviously it's a it's a game that's doing well. Right? In the Kickstarter well, yeah. world. Yeah, it's doing well. Um, has there been anything that has like stood out in this campaign that you were not expecting? You know, is there I don't know, a country that's popped up or anything weird that you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that for this game? Um, no. <laughs> so that, I guess the thing that's unique about this project for me, um, you know, as, as uh, any Kickstarter backer knows, stretch goals is a big deal mm-hmm. to at least a certain population of the people that back <laughs> Kickstarter projects. Um, and the, the project I had done over the summer had like a long list of stretch goals. And I, I usually will do the stretch goal thing. Um, and like, I think pe- people understand, you know, like we was talking before, Kickstarter backers are getting more savvy. So like, I think people understand that there's a certain amount of, of theater associated with stretch goals, right? Yep. Some of them are real. Some of them aren't really. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they often offer things to to talk about, right? So you've got this Kickstarter going and it gives you like, check out these cool new stretch goals. We're going to find out what the next ones are. You've got like all these kind of fun things to talk about. Um, and then from a creator's perspective, um, especially like if you're like a one man show, I've got like a handful of, of friends and, and uh, people that are like contractors and stuff that are helping me manage some of the stuff. But at the end of the day, that process is insanely stressful. Um, and I was like, well, on this one, I'm not doing stretch goals. Let's, let's see how it goes. Right. Like, it's the only Kickstarter I've ever done that had zero stretch goals. Um, I mean, and it's, it's following up an existing well-liked game. And it's, I know some people don't like to, there's, there's always kind of this discussion about, like, is Kickstarter a pre-order system or is it not a pre-order system? You know, Kickstarter specifically says that they're not, but I think a lot of companies treat it like it is. Yep. Um, and so this one is kind of leaning more in that that zone of like, here's the game. I've given you all the information. If you want it, pledge. Click, yeah, click the button. If you don't, that's cool too. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of like, it's a product offering. Um, and like this... When you run a Kickstarter, uh, especially when you have stretch goals and or, and you don't have like a built-in audience for something, it's a hustle to try to find those backers. Like, I need to find people to back my project because I want to make it real. Um, the fact that I don't really have to hustle on this project has like made my personal life much more enjoyable. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when I finished the previous the previous project, which is called Role Player Adventures. Um, in it was J- July, and like afterwards, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this cartographer's one man because like it was just like mentally taxing. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, it's, I, 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 all my clients, they underestimate how much work it is all the oh, time, sure. and I'm like, guys, it's like every day, 10, 12 hour days. They're like, well, what, I, what would I be doing? You, everything. You're literally <laughs> just doing everything, you know. So, yeah, uh, tr- so, trying yeah. to make the world. Yeah, 
<laughs> right, right. Trying to make everybody happy who, and everybody has an opinion about your uh, product too, because you, you did it wrong. Right, right. You can't, you can't get it right. It's impossible. No, you can't get it right. For a so, you know, so with seven days to go, a couple of uh, weeks for the money to all drop, but what starts happening for you to get the game out into people's hands? What starts happening? So here's the, here's the other good, the, the other amazing thing about not doing stretch goals is that I can have everything ready to go. Um, and that's where I'm at. So basically, um, you know, we're going to polish the last couple things um, and do like uh, another quick round of playtesting. And it's just, it's just going to go to print. You know, it's like, I mean, I try to make sure all my projects are like as done as they could be. Sometimes I'll leave like little gaps for things that people can contribute to. So like in previous projects, people have been to like write backstory content or people have been offered up, suggest like been able to vote, like what kind of character do you want this guy to be? Like a dwarf or an elf, like that kind of stuff. Um, like kind of real focused areas where people can um, vote and be a part of the creative process. At the end of the day, I'm not a huge comp- uh, proponent of like crowd-based design. Mm-hmm. I like really like, someone with a singular vision and executing on that, um, or maybe you know a couple people. Um, but I, I try to leave pockets for for the crowd to contribute to the project. Um, and this one, because it has to integrate with the other game, there's I have um, I have lots of limitations like. Right. Cardstock has to be the exact same, you yeah. know, because the boxes are fitting together to look cool. The, um, the 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 finish on the boxes have to be the same. They have to be the same size. Yeah. The pads of paper have to be the same size. Like the pencils have to be the right, same. Right, right. So like, there's uh, a lot fewer kind of creative decisions that have to take place. So we can just move forward. Yeah. Um, great. So the plan is for me to like um, uh, deliver this game kind of at the same time as the the game I did in the summer, which was a much more complex game. And um, one thing that's interesting about this project that I've never done, never done before, and I don't see it very often, is that I'm giving anyone who backed the first project like a $5 discount on their shipping on this product. Oh, that's cool. Um, because we are shipping them together, so I'm going to save money, so I might as well right. pass that on, right? Right. Um, and it incentivizes uh, people to go back and hit the pledge manager and, and back the old one, too. Yep. I'm trying to tie those together. Yep. Cool. So that's kind of been interesting. Um, I, I always think it's, I don't know, this is like random Kickstarter comments now, but um, I always love the point in a Kickstarter when uh, you amassed enough crowd. I don't know what the number is. I think it's usually around 2,000 people. Is that like the, um, the crowd starts answering their own questions. <laughs> they, start, they start self-managing. Yeah. Which is yeah. A, from a creator's perspective is amazing. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to answer every single question. I've got that one, that two, that three, like advocates that become, yep. that become like, uh, you know, real yeah, look, champions look up, of the product. Look up in the, in the questions. They're right. answering they, the question, you know? Yeah. Right. They're like, oh, he said this a couple of days ago. And it's like, yep. sweet. Yeah. I can okay. sleep for an extra five minutes this morning because there's like yeah. one less Kickstarter question. That yeah, is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is great when they start self-managing themselves, uh, that, yeah. that crowd of people. It's, it's, it's awesome when it happens. Uh, I mean, that, that, can go, that can go poorly as well, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been a part of it poorly once too. No, I've been there. So, yeah, now I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they, you know, you the, try to avoid whole, that like, at all costs. Something, something negative in the comments section that can start like picking up steam and start spiraling out of, uh, out of control um, can really be detrimental to a Kickstarter project yep. as well. Um, yeah. And I've I've had that happen a couple times where where there was like there was danger of that happening. Um, one was like a guy that was getting really um, 
like kind of riling people up a little bit. And some of it was positive. So it wasn't like clearly a negative thing, but then like, um, he, he ended up like request requesting me to post this picture, um, that he had threatened, like he was joking around with the people, uh, in the comments about, and they, and he had like some white supremacy tattoos on his oh. hands and stuff. And I was like, uh, eh, we're not doing that. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> and then I had another one that was just like, there was somebody that was kind of real poison in the well, like just had kind of a, uh, a lot of negative things to say. And, and I, I, I wasn't really sure where it was coming from, but like my technique is just like come to that person with like honesty and like, you know, yeah. an open mind and an open heart and be like, you know, like, why are you so bothered by this? Is there anything right. that I can do to, to help resolve that? And it turned out that there was, there was like some email that was missed. I'm not sure if it was on my side or, or his side from a previous project that he was just mad about. And then like, or that he didn't understand how like, something worked that was clearly laid out and like he misread it and like he was just mad about it and it's like well you know let's talk about that and let's figure yeah, out yeah. like right, right how to make that better and how to fix that <laughs> there's no reason you know so that and then that happened well i kind of was real open with him and then he just kind of went away you know he just like, went away. Uh, yeah, yeah yeah i know people people are nuts in the uh they're just nuts <laughs> in this world but uh well let's flip over to um let's do a quick lightning round question nothing to do with games or kickstarter at this point so yeah. quick lightning round i don't uh, know anything about anything that's not kickstarter okay. games, well so yeah I don't i'm gonna really fail <laughs> ask my wife she's not all you talk about is this stuff uh so how about are you watching anything on the old streaming channels right now netflix hulu anything oh uh, i'm like lately i've been just jumping into a bunch of different things so um, i'm watching uh haunting a blind mansion manor oh yeah yeah manor i think it's manor right so, two episodes in yeah i'm watching utopia on yeah, Amazon. Now, is, is it? It's on yeah, Amazon Prime. Yeah. It, it's okay. Um, I just got finished watching The Great Pottery Throwdown on HBO Max, which is pretty good. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Surprisingly. Um, and like there's five other, 500 other things that I wish I had time to watch. But yeah. yeah. How about a book? Are you reading a book at all right now? Yeah. I'm a big Stephen King fan. So um, okay. uh, the latest from him, which is called got a cat on the cover i don't know it's a bunch of short stories okay it's a really okay. good all right how about is there a movie like it's, a, it's called until it, i think it's called until it bleeds by the way but oh, until it bleeds okay a Steve movie an actual well, movie. I mean, yeah. movies that mean something different now than it did a year ago but well like an actual like a two-hour movie i don't know like a, <laughs> you know it's like a real movie I, well i always love when i asked this question recently you know, i've been asking this since the pandemic because i'm like well we're all locked in but people are always just like i don't have time for movies but then they'll say like i watched this 12-part series that was all like right. two, you know an hour every episode so i'm like he spent 12 hours watching yeah it's <laughs> just 20 hours yeah. of whatever yeah. yeah so um i just watched something two nights ago is that um Enola Holmes, the the one where it's like uh, Sherlock Holmes' sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, it's got uh, Bonham Carter uh, mm -hmm. in it. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, That's I okay. can picture it in here. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, alone, Alona is, is alone spelled backwards. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it's pretty. I well, we were in the middle of it, and we were like an hour in. I was like, "Is this like a full movie?" Like. <laughs> The idea like of sitting in, in one episode, spot. It's episode two start, you know? I was like, I want that, like, I want to have to press that button that says next episode instead right, of, like, right, that, right. you know, take it on versus, like, yep. man, this is kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the movie hilarious. was okay. Yeah. I would, I would give it a, I don't know, six out of ten. Okay. How about podcasts? You listen to any podcasts? 
No. Well, Not really. Well, mine. Obviously, you listen to this obviously. one. I mean, you're, you're a major subscriber. I'm too busy watching all these damn TV shows. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got it. Something's got to give. That's what you got to <laughs> give. And how about uh, my last one will be around. Is there like a like a a, um, a blog or a site you go to for like your world? Like, oh, I, I go to this thing all the time and that's where I uh, get a lot of info. Like, I mean, like things like boardgamegeek.com? Yeah, I mean, something along the... I don't know if that might be in your world or if there's like, I don't know, I go to medium articles I read all the time or... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a Facebook scroller, you know, this yeah. like... Which always has uh, links to things, but I mean, Board Game Geeks is, is a common place that uh, you'll find me on, just because it is the you know the mecca of board games. There's like no shortage of information, yeah. Yeah. and there's no shortage of um, UI elements that are difficult to navigate as well. Right. But uh, <laughs> which is kind of feels like a joke at this point. But yeah. uh, I mean, it's a great website. It has has its own email system. Has its own like yep. has all these kind of. Cr- it has so many features that. Like you could spend a long time just like digging and finding like oh it does this oh it does this right, it right, does right. this, um, and and everything works in a way that you don't expect it to. So, but there is a ton of information on it about mm-hmm. board games. Yeah. Um, All right, and and uh, yeah, how about uh, how about where can people like dive into your world? Where where should people go? Like how how do you how do you have people kind of go into your universe of games and all that sort of oh, stuff? Oh sure. So I mean www.thunderworksgames.com that you can find lots of information about my games. Um, there is a official uh, Role Player Universe Facebook page uh, that start, was started by fans, but I, I interact there all the time. Okay. Um, sometimes we even like do like contests specifically for those people that are in that group to try to you know make that uh, uh, make it make it feel special for people. Um, and because I'm in there, like they, there's people who are involved there. Uh, that they they know they can reach out to the creator and get questions answered very quickly about all my games. So there's a role player specific universe one, and then there's just Thunderworks games on Facebook. So I'm definitely there. I'm on Twitter, you know, pretty active there. And then uh, I've got a couple other folks that help me out on social media that, that people interact with as well. It's awesome. So those are kind of the main places to find Thunderworks games and Keith Mateco. Very cool. Well, Keith, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. We went a little long, but it was a great conversation, man. I appreciate it. There's a lot of stuff to, to unpack here in the uh, the old board game world, man. And uh, you clearly are doing well over here, man. So uh, oh. I encourage everybody to go over to Kickstarter right now. Check it out. Uh, you got about seven days to go. So go back. Uh, become, a, become one of your backers. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, man. Yeah. Happy to be here. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. All right. How about that conversation? Holy cow, did we get into it. Man, Keith was a wealth of knowledge in just the board game world, the Kickstarter world. He's run a ton of campaigns, and it's always great to kind of get in those conversations and uh, with with somebody who knows, you know, is an equal, right? That we, we've experienced some of the same problems, so we get into that. And then to find out that we're both musicians, whew, a lot of stuff to talk about. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Let's listen to some Sugar People music, and uh, let's chill out a little bit, right? Let's just take it down i'm gonna go work on this parking issue here in my town but uh all right guys here's some sugar people music yeah hope you guys enjoy this episode
Cause you're my 